Today, I have Joe Dawson of Bruiser Industries. I really enjoyed this conversation with him. Brings a lot of energy to the table. Now, while Bruiser Industries is only a couple of years old since its inception, Joe is no stranger to firearms instruction. He spent several years uh, in Naval Special Warfare as a SEAL. He was a sniper school instructor, and in fact, he was instrumental in rewriting that curriculum. Joe tells a story about how he graduated sniper school and found out how much learning he actually had to do. He's got some interesting perspectives, and I think you'll enjoy this conversation. These episodes are brought to you by Red Dot Fitness training products and programs. You can find out more about Red Dot Fitness and our products and programs at rdftrainonline.com. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. Joe Dawson, Bruiser Industries. Welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here. I'm stoked and I feel it feels a little weird to actually be in the same room with you, not uh, just because you're here and this is an honor for me actually to sit in front of you. I appreciate it. But also because I don't recognize you at <laughs> all without the beard. <laughs> Can we talk about this for a second? We just put this out there in the open and talk about what the hell happened to your face. It's, uh, it's probably the, what, the last two weeks. It couldn't have been more than that. I feel like that, that beard was no, just there. No, it was about a week before SHOT Show. And this is, yeah. So well, what happened? So honestly, I got, you lose a bit? I got an argument with my wife about uh, why I was growing my beard out. And she said it was because I was coming to SHOT Show and that mm-hmm. I was going to be around a bunch of bearded dudes and we were going to, you know, measure our, Do bearded our, guy status, stuff. our status through our beard. <laughs> I, and, you know. I, I think I feel offended. <laughs> <laughs> and if you threatened me with a good time, that, that sucker came off. I was like, oh, you're saying that's why I did it. Nope. And so I shaved it. Just like that. Yeah. yeah, that's a great thing about beards is they will grow back. Yeah, I love the guys that love competition. That's kind of me too. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, man. Yeah. I mean, we're out here in Las Vegas, shot show. Uh, we're cut sort of in the makeshift shoot studio here in our in our in our suite here at at, um, at the show. I know you've probably been pretty pretty busy this week, getting around yeah. talking with people, maybe you know making some deals, or maybe even just visiting with old friends. How's your experience been so far? Shot show is one of those things. Once you come a few times, like there's nothing new, man. There's nothing groundbreaking that I'm like, oh shit, like that changed my entire perception of life. Okay. So it it's really to come back and I I saw people that I like my boat crew one of the boat crew leaders in my buds class from 20 years ago. I saw like the first day. Wow. Like, had hadn't seen him talk to him. I was like, that's something. I know that dude. Wow. Um, I saw people that, you know, I worked with and, you know, when you, when you relieve service and, and go someplace else and like you lose connection with that community to see those dudes, it, it, it does, does good things for the soul. Yeah. So, um, it's been really good to see people that, you know, through COVID and the last three to five years of turmoil that we've, we've lived through. Um, it was nice. It was good to kind of, it kind of feel centered again, talk to the people that, you know, you've known throughout your life through experiences and, uh, but yeah. It, industry stuff, nah. It, this was 100% about seeing people and seeing people like, you know, that I 
know, know from online or I talk to right. regularly, you know, we talk about industry stuff, but then now I actually get to see in person. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I mean, just here sitting in the room right now, it'd be, uh, it'd be remiss to not mention, uh, Mr. Chris Curse who joined us up here. Who's on the, he's on obviously in the Southeast, you're in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Um, you guys are, guys are buddies and it's, I, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you actually, if it wasn't for Chris and, and him reaching out and, and just making this connection. So thanks brother. Awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, you've alluded just a little bit to your background or whatever. I, I look, man, I mean, you, I know you from, from what you do on Instagram. Yep. Um, and what I love about what you do on Instagram is that it's super cut and dry, right? I mean, the, it, but you're also filling in the nuance and the detail that I think it's lost or left out when people are just trying to make kind of a quick flashy shooting post or, you know, equipment or gear post or whatever else. So I'm encouraged to be here sitting in this position to be able to kind of go long with you on a few things. Yeah. Um, but before we kind of dig into any of the, like the, the stuff I think probably people would expect me to ask, um, let's just maybe, I mean, we talked about the beard, so we got the, got the thing kicked off. Well, we're, we're, we're already on a good start. Catch people up just on kind of who you are, what you're doing, you know, where you come from. Let's get maybe the brief bio, right? So we have, okay. a, have a platform to kind of start from. So uh, Joe Dawson, uh, pretty much Bruiser Industries, LLC. We're out of Pacific Northwest. So I live in Oregon with my wife. We have um, four teenagers between us, so good times. Uh, four? Yeah. How the hell are you doing that? 13, 15, 16 and 17. How many girls and how many boys? Two boys are the youngest, two girls are the oldest. Dude, you're right in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. Dude, <laughs> this is <laughs> coming to Josh is probably a little bit of a break. Like, I'm sure you love your kids, but dang, man, that's a lot. Okay. Uh, and so, um, live up there, uh, okay. retired from the Navy in 2018, medically mm -hmm. retired, did 14 years, um, four deployments. It was a West Coast guy my whole career. Mm -hmm. uh, basically kind of focused on the scope carbine precision rifle stuff. So basically I did two platoons, um, at team five. Then I went and taught land warfare for a couple of years, two, three years, and then did two platoons at team seven and then finished up as the course supervisor and manager of, um, our sniper course. And so did that during that time, uh, shot a little bit of, you know, I went through sniper school God, a long time ago now, and then kind of stepped out of the community and shot PRS for a while, some USPSA. Um, I was on the outlaw team for Sig Sauer for USPSA for a while. Oh, I didn't um, realize that. Shot uh, PRS for GA Precision and Vortex and Bartland and a bunch of other people. Uh, and that, that kind of expanded my love of shooting and training um, outside of my community. And, uh, and then so I retired in 2018, um, kind of did the corporate thing. Uh, for a couple of years. What, that, what does that mean? So I was a corp corporate project manager for Siemens and did uh, big construction uh, project management. Okay. Um, it was just a way, you know, as I retired, I happened to get divorced like a lot of us do mm -hmm. and um, wanted to, wanting to stay close to my kids, um, ended up in Oregon and uh, and a buddy of mine worked for Siemens and was like, hey man, like, hey, you got a business degree, like, you, let's get you moving in the right direction. And so it was good. It was a good place to reset. Um, I, uh, I did that for two and a half years. My bosses still love me, left on good terms, gave mm -hmm. them tons of notice. But I was like, hey, man, if I live in this cubicle any longer, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. And, uh, and I have such a love of like coaching and training. And, and I've been doing it since I was like a teenager. Like, dude, I used to be a youth coach. I was a camp counselor. I was, and that kind of led into why I like um, mentorship and teaching and stuff. And so did that, um, 
went to Siemens, did that. And then I was like, dude, I miss being on the range. I miss having the conversations with people. Mm. I miss like a, a good day on the range in the rain is still, or a bad day on the range in the rain is still better than a good day in the office in the cubicle. Mm. So I, uh, I left that, um, cleaned out a 401k to do it. And then, so Bruiser is my full-time gig now. Uh, and then trying to, you know, make my way in the industry, uh, where I can still put my head on my pillow at night and, uh, <laughs> sleep with myself. So. Feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Who's Bruiser? Who's Bruiser coaching, man? What type of people are you working with? I want to, you, you know, that's actually changed. And I think, I mean, I've changed at, from when I got out. I really wanted to work with law enforcement, military, like we all do. I wanted to work with people who are going down range and doing the work. Um, and because that's what I was used to. And I was used to being around that camaraderie type thing. And kind of the, the shift has really happened as stuff has dried up and stuff's not happening as much. Um, law enforcement's really changed over the last two to three years. Mm. You know, the, the, there's the shift really happened where the more motivated people I saw in the industry mm. weren't the guys wearing plates. Um, and that's what do you uh, mean? Guys who are law enforcement, guys who are military, were very happy meeting, you know, minimum standards. And mm -hmm. they weren't the guys who were searching out information. They weren't the guys who were there. There is exceptions to that rule. There's a bunch of guys listening right now who are going to be like, there yeah, always are, right? Screw there's, that dude. Right. Um, but I'm saying across the board, there's the dudes who leave the teams to get better at their craft. They, they leave their community. They leave to go find, hey, man, I know I don't know, know everything. I know my community can't know everything. So I'm going to go, if I want to get better at comms, I'm going to go find a comms nerd. If I want to get better at sniper stuff, I'm going to go find a sniper nerd. If I want to go better, get better at breaching, there's guys outside of my community who are can give me that specific piece. It's like, dude, if you want to learn how to throw a football, you find a coach who specializes in throwing a football. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it, you know, if you want to learn how to do a deadlift or, you know, versus like a sprinting coach versus there's lots of aspects to that job. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I found that civilians were the ones that at classes were the ones who were listening better, taking more notes. They were, because the thing is a department there, that nobody had a uh, guy in a law enforcement unit doesn't uh, have any skin in the game. So yeah. not to say all of them, some pay, do pay their way. He's being paid to be there though. Yeah. He's being paid to be there. The class is paid for by the department. Like, and he already has a base of experience due to civilian who is spending their own money, taking time off work to, and losing money, maybe mm -hmm. to not, not working, Making an paying investment. for their own ammo, mm -hmm. paying for their own gear, paying to support their own rifle, the travel, whatever. and then has to wade through what our industry has to offer. Those dudes have more of a vetted interest to get better and to soak up everything they can get out of that class than lot, most of the guys uh, actually doing the job, which I, is sad, but it's just what I've seen. So when you, when you talk about stepping outside the community and there, there are people that are doing that, what's the risk to doing that for your status in the community? Oh, a lot. Everybody wants to be the big fish in a little pond. And I think, and, and I, I watched this in the competitive world, guys step out, they get skull drug. They don't finish where they think they are, but they're really good at their job. They're the fastest guy on their platoon. They're the fastest guy on the team. They're the fast, like they're happy to be that. That's a status symbol amongst their peers. They, then when you step out and all of a sudden you're not as fast as you thought you were, like you either have to humble down and mm -hmm. go like, Hey man, somebody is better than me and has something to offer or go back to that little pond where I can be big fish again. And I don't have to accept that, you know, I am somehow, you know, inferior to other people or whatever you, however you want to explain it. So, um, that takes a lot. And like my personality type, I went out and that happened to me. I left sniper school. I went out to PRS and my first match just got crushed. But I was looking at all these dudes, like guys who were farmers. And I'm like, dude, how are these 
got people skull drugging me. Like a 15 year old girl beat me. And I was like, at the time I was like, that's humbling as fuck. I bet. Yeah. I just left sniper school. I went through three months of shooting and I was like, and I just got crushed. And so I went, what is this magic? And, and I, you know, you have to swallow hard, you know, put Mm -hmm. that, put that bio back in the back pocket and just go, you guys know something I don't know. Mm -hmm. Please teach me. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, it was amazing. They were happy to do it. Yeah, the, the giving. They're like, yeah, glad you asked. Like, let's talk about it versus yeah. gatekeeping any of it. Or versus, something. you know, the the puffing the chest and uh, going like, oh, mm. it's only a one-way range. It's only like, dude, metal's metal, metal to me, trigger squeeze is trigger squeeze. Like, putting a bullet where you want it to go is is the same. It doesn't matter what you do, how you get there, or what how uniform you clear the you're room, wearing, yeah. doesn't matter. In, in, in the sniper world, dude, understanding the platform and putting a bullet where you want it is tactics tactic irrelevant. And so I was like, Hey, you guys are shooting smaller targets farther away and faster than I am. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. Um, and it helped. And I, some of the, and so my knowledge base is based off of people who were, had no tactical backgrounds, had no high speed things to hang their hat on, but just, you know, took in this young, you know, 23 year old seal Mm -hmm. at the time and was like, Hey man, let me show you some stuff. And I was like, and I soaked it up and then tried to bring it back to my community. And within the community, then, you're bringing in new stuff that we don't teach. And there's a lot of apprehension. You, you're talking about being a, a, a sniper school instructor now. Well, no, even just in the platoons. Okay. So I ended up being a, I was like a platoon lead sniper, troop lead sniper, and then team lead sniper, and then took over the course. And that actually wasn't like, I didn't go to the course to take it over. That kind yeah, of, how does that work? Is that part of the process for people? Like you're going to have to put in your time if you graduate the school? So what you go through sniper school and then you have a qual. And then basically, you know, you, you kind of have this like seashore rotation. So you do a certain number of deployments and then they go, Hey man, you should probably take a step back <laughs> and go, go to a school house. Recharge the, recharge the batteries. Which like, never works out. Try that to way. wreck, try to unwreck the relationship that's been wrecked while you've got you, while you've been gone. Well, like, what's funny is you still end up gone. So like our sniper school is in Indiana and I was living in San Diego. Yeah. Okay. Thus divorce. Um, and so it was, it was, I went to schoolhouse, did a couple deployments. Then I, uh, did a couple more deployments and then I would made chief and, um, I was up for short, short billet again. And I didn't want to go back be, as a E seven because I knew I wouldn't run the course. Okay. And I was like, I don't want to go where I, there, there, I'm going to go back to the guys teaching the course are probably t- doing 10 year old stuff. Like they were when I left okay. the course mm-hmm. and I was like, and I'm not going to be able to make any change. And I know I'm going to piss a bunch of people off. I was like, it's not the right fit. And one of the master chiefs, when I was getting detailed, was like, that's funny because you've been a, one of the a lead sniper now for six years or like, or eight years. Like that's exactly where you're going. That's exactly like, why you're going there. And I was like, yeah. son of a bitch. And so I went and I have, what happened was I happened to go at the same time as a master chief who thank God, um, he was a old sniper, but knew it. He was just a super humble dude. And one of my good, good friends. Now we both came in at the same time. We both sat down, kind of felt each other out. And he was like, Hey, you obviously, obviously, like this stuff more than, and are more relevant than I am. So he's like, you know, let's do this together. I was like, absolutely. And he gave me a lot of freedom to kind of help and, and get people's awareness. How does that, how does, so time out for a second. How do you do that? Like, how do you start to change the paradigm or start to change the thought process? So what's that, what does that actually look like in this very controlled? So it's funny. My degree is actually an organizational change. So (laughs) in, in the 
how they structure change within an organization, basically you have to, there's lots of different methods you do. And the one that when I came into a platoon after I started shooting matches and I, you know, finished a deployment, had started shooting matches, went into another deployment and started kind of melding with the other snipers and stuff. Like there was a lot of like, oh, Joe thinks he knows everything. Joe, you know, know it all, whatever. Just because I was trying to get us to like buy tripods and stuff that I had been using in competition and like we just didn't have. And the other snipers were really, like some of them were very apprehensive. And I was like, dude, this isn't information that I made up. Like I just went out and I'm trying to bring it back. Right. And so, by the way, these are farmers and farmers daughters that could smoke you. hundred percent. Yeah. But you know, the excuses come out and, and getting outside of their comfort zone, like within our community in front of other people that are also Trident wearers or whatever else, it's just a big deal. And so there was a lot of apprehension because it was only coming from a sole source. So fast forward, and because I already had felt that kind of agitation at the platoon level. And eventually, as I took over a platoon and then was an LPO, and I had snipers who were, I was in charge of other snipers. Then what I did, I kind of changed this and also brought other people in so that the guys who I learned from then came in and helped me train them. And so they got to hear the same things I was saying okay. from other people. So it's being validated. And then it was like, it's being validated. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so when I took over the course, I could already kind of sense some of the agitation, like, oh, here comes this hot to trot E7. And so instead of saying anything, I was like, okay, hey, you, one of these really established E6s, you're going to go watch the ODA course. You're going to go to the MARSOC course. And you two, you two guys are going to come with me to a PRS match. Okay. I didn't have to say anything. And then all of them came back and they were like, oh man, they're doing all this stuff and they're doing all this stuff. And we went to this PRS match and all these people are shooting really, really tight. I was like, crazy. So it's like kind of more organic at that point. Like so, they're coming up with the answers on their own. So you don't even have to ask the question. Organizational change. Like you take that middle management and you get buy-in from them yep. and then they disseminate it down to everybody else. Yep. And so that's what I was trying to do. I, once I got that buy-in from that solid group of E6s <laughs> that was well-respected amongst everybody, then they were like, oh, okay, cool. And then I was like, okay, so now you're going to develop this court test and you're going to develop this course of instruction and you're going to develop this and you're all going to bring it to me and then we'll validate it and we're going to change the curriculum. And so then I made, you know, let them go out and they'd already watched what the ODA was doing and watched what Marsoc was doing and, and watched what PRS was doing and kind of let them play with it a little bit. And I was like, I want you guys to go figure out a course of fire, figure out what the standard should be, figure out the scoring structure. And if you guys have any issues, come talk to me. And we a couple conversations with each of them, they did, they did it on their own. Like I didn't have to do anything. That's the best kind of leadership. And all I had to do was sit back and go like, yes, this fits what we're trying to accomplish. Like with that purpose, yeah, goals. And yeah. are we getting the outcome? We, exactly. Can we measure this at the end? And so we did that and we actually wrote it entirely into the court, into the curriculum. And so instead of just running the course differently, like half of my job was, you know, and that was the hard thing for me is like, I wanted to be on the line teaching people, but what happened was is my master chief that rolled in with me, he ended up needing to take another leadership spot. And so he, that position was normally filled by like an E8 or E9. I was an E7 at the time. Okay. And so he went to go leave and they were like, we need to find another guy to backfill that. And he was like, I'm no, going to be don't. close. He goes, there's nobody in NSW that should sit that spot more than Joe. And I was, it was that's, one of the most humbling things I've ever had. That's a pretty big endorsement, me. man. Yeah. And so I had him and the master chief above him. They had both had my back. And so I, you know, and I had to fight our community a bit because I was changing what we were doing. And I had a lot of like, you know, and I had, but I had those buy-in from my guys and I had that thing from SOCOM saying we needed a change. And so, it, and so I rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But you were tipping the scale. 
Yes. And what happened really quickly was, is I was sending better snipers to the platoons than the snipers who were there. Mm. And that that probably didn't taste very good for a lot of people. No. And all of a sudden the trade at, so basically you have sniper sustainment cadre that run like sustainment trips after guys are already qualified with a feedback we were getting from them was we were having junior snipers teaching senior snipers new techniques. Which is great and should be welcomed, right? But I'm sure it's not really being received that way on the other end. I mean, that's got to leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth because it sounds like you're just going to constantly be fighting this ego battle, right? Or this Dude, this game of rank or whatever that. You, whatever. you live in a in a community of lions, and everybody everybody wants to be taken this seriously. Come to eat, yeah. And but but again, it, everybody has a different view of what that job entails. Has a different view of what being good at your job is, and so it's not that anybody's purposely trying to shit on anybody or eat. eat yeah, I got no, you. No, it's it's just they have a different view than you do. And I don't, I, you know, some, I, I subjectively go like, well, I think those views are fucked up, but in turn, they, you could have somebody else sitting here and they'd be saying like, yeah, but you know, Joe thought he fucking knew everything. And he was, he came in and shook everything up. But that and, isn't what you were saying. Yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, just cause it worked for us for a long time. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't continually progress. Mm-hmm. And you know, and the, the cliche term of you're the smartest dude in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yep. Like, we shouldn't just be, we should be looking to how can we be more lethal? How can we be more effective at our job? How can we like, dude, our job is war, warfare, period. That's what our job is. Like, there's nothing else that we're made for. That's what our job is. And so even if we're not at war, how can we be better at war? I'm not, I'm not a marketing director. I'm not a contractor. I'm not a, I'm a paid gunfighter. Like, and so how do I be better at gunfighting? And so, and if you put a gun in my hands where I'm supposed to shoot really, really far, how do I do that better? How do mm-hmm. I do that more efficiently? Should be the only concern. Yeah. And so, it, but a lot of guys go like, well, I did a lot of stuff on this last deployment. That's awesome. How do you do more on the next one? Mm. Um, it's like, hey, I hit 65 home runs last season. Okay, cool. How do I what hit 75? We, what are we doing to get better? And yeah. so it's, uh, and for communities in, within SOCOM that are supposed to be really agile, it's, we're not always. We are with like AARs and coming back and like addressing what our next theater is. Hey, the mission sets shifted from sniper overwatches to DA or whatever. Like that's great. But within those individual skill sets, there's a lot of rice bowling. There's a lot of like. There's evolution. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot. So you have this huge experience with, again, the organizational management. There's also program writing that's yeah. going on and and uh, you're you're getting sort of some support there, I guess. Maybe. So we have civilians who actually sit in those, in those courses that kind of help manage the paperwork drill. Oh, good. Um, but that's basically the course manager. That's that's, and then those civilians are the ones who are putting everything to paper. Gotcha. So all the PowerPoints have to be outlined. All the manuals have to be updated. You know, all the schedules have to be updated. All the the courses of fire has to be written out like what you're allowed what, like you know it's like any course of instruction yeah, it's, it's your, yeah you're rolling out a new thing to a huge company yes right that's interesting because i think you know a lot of people listen to let's just say they listen to podcasts with guys that have your background and they want to hear you know flashy stories and here's all the things and i'm sure you got a lot of those um but what they what they don't often hear is the skill sets that you're building in or that you have the opportunity to build as being an instructor and leading a team outside of the theater of war or whatever it yeah. happens to be um, writing manual writing, right? Oh, Policy yeah. writing, right? Uh, all of those kind of things. I wonder, you know, you, you work for yourself now, right? You're, yeah. you, but as you transition out, you got into the construction management thing or yeah. I think that's how, how you phrased it. 
I understand you actually authored some articles and maybe some manuals or somewhere along the way. Is that true? Yeah. So I, I am a gun dork. I've always been. Um, and I have a really addictive personality. When I get into things, I go full fucking retard. Like, um, and so it's like, I got into skydiving. It was like, I'm, I'm, I want to know everything. I got into like building rock crawlers. It was like, I'm going like, we're building a $70,000 rock crawler. Like, so I wanted to race motorcycles pretty soon. I have like a Japanese superbike spec, you know, a thousand <laughs> hour. That makes a lot of sense. Joe, and right? so it was, you know, I, I was, you know, I had. It's a character flaw though too, man. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And so my grandfather got me into guns really young. One of the best men I know, um, just actually saw him before Christmas and, uh, and he, I got into guns. And so pretty soon I was like, I was that 10 year old or 12 year old who was like reading like all the old gun digest manuals and like reading about, I thought I was going to live, be a trapper in Alaska. until I was about 14. <laughs> and then I realized that what that didn't exist anymore. And so I had like old 1915, like how to trap in the Northwest. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to have a coonskin cap. Uh, and I figured out that's not a thing. And, uh, and so I always loved guns. My grandfather gave me a few. And so, as I started getting into the, in the SEAL teams, you know, being a, a gun guy, like I was like, I get to play with all, all the things. of the things. And yeah. then I started shooting competitions fairly early in my career. And so then it, I saw all these other people shooting all these other things. And I was like, kind of like, you know, we, we talked about cigars earlier, which, um, and it was, uh, I was like, what is this magic yeah. and where do I get it? Yeah, yeah. And so then. More, I, more, more. And so yeah. I, my minor in college was English lit. And so like, I know how to write. And so okay. it was like, and then I would, and I had, and I was a seal. And, and so I started talking to, I ran across at Shot Show actually, um, some guys who were writing and they're like, do you have any interest in writing? And I was, and I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, send me something and we'll see. And he was like, oh, and I write very much like I talk. And so it resonates with some people. It doesn't with others. Uh, and so Gate sent him some articles and he wanted me to talk, touch on subjects like, like back then it was like birth of the professional veteran and some other stuff. So okay. I wrote for like breach bank, clear recoil magazine, ballistic magazine, modern service weapons. Um, that's quite a list 30 or 40, like mostly online about, I don't know, eight or 10 printed. Um, does this, does this still happen or are these some ones coming out in the next recoil issue? But, uh, I took a break for a while. Cause basically when I went back to school to finish my business degree at the end of my career, and then I was at sniper school. So I was writing manuals for three years. Right. I was you like, kind of done. Dude, I don't want to sit in front of a computer anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so I, t I took about two or three year break, but I still like it. Um, my wife was like, you're kind of, you, you're kind of like the Anthony Bourdain of guns. Like, cause I'm a, I want to know the history. I want to know where it came from. I want to know how it's built. Like, I want to know, it's not just like, oh, that's a cool gun. This is how you use it. Like, I want to know like why it was developed the way it was, like why, why the design features were put where they were. Yep. Um, I think that stuff's fascinating. And so, yeah, there's an, there's an analytical piece to this. I, I, I just want to go back to these guys are approaching you and they're asking you about writing articles. Yeah. How did they know? Like you, you sort of jumped really quickly into that. You were an English lit major, right? You were talking to some guys. They wanted to know if you were interested in writing. How did that come up? You come to SHOT Show and, you know, we all wear badges. And yeah. so my badge said Naval Special Warfare on it. Okay. And so I was sitting at a booth and started, and I recognized the magazine on the guy's badge. Okay. And I was like, oh, hey, I really like your stuff. You know, you know, I, I was an English lit major in college. Like, I always okay. thought about writing. And he was like, that's right. Okay. So at some level, the NSW on your badge got them, you know, yeah. the, the, gets their interest. When you enter into this, how, is, how, did, how did you use that? Like, no. So I had to ask permission. 
Because this is my question, because yeah, you, a lot of people can write stories, write books, write articles, yeah. but you also are coming with this background. And if you're representing yourself as NSW, like- I couldn't use it. Yeah, you got to get signed off on this shit. They yeah. don't just, yeah, you do no. that without getting signed so off. You're you have to trouble. ask in the military, you have to ask to, to do any second job because the military owns you. So they go, yep. okay, what do you want to do to make money outside the military? Right. So I had to route that shit. And so I had to route saying, I want to write for Breach so Bay and so. Clear Magazine. And they go- and so I had to sit down with the JAG at the time and he had to go, hey, so you want to write, what do you want to write? I said, gear reviews, gun reviews. He goes, whatever. He goes, well, besides being a SEAL, what makes you qualified to write these articles? I said, well, I shoot PRS, I shoot USPSA, I shoot multi-gun, I, I'm a law enforcement firearms instructor. I took the FBI course out of LA. I, I've done, I have other things in my bio other than being a SEAL. And he was like, so you... You can do this without saying you're a SEAL. I said, yes, there's there's lots of guys who have no bios who write right. magazine articles. And he's like, and you're only going to write gun reviews and whatever. I said, do I have no interest in writing memoirs, you know, operas, screenplays? You know, I don't care. I have no interest whatsoever. And he's like, approved. And so, um, he, and, and then he, th- he shook my hand and thanked me for asking permission. Is this, uh, yeah, because... I'm sure most people are maybe caught in the process like somewhere and they're like, wait, what the fuck? And they're being hemmed up somewhere like, wait, you wrote this and you didn't ask our, our permission? I'm sure that was... There's probably not as much hemming up as there probably should be. Yeah, uh, you, you may be right about that. I, were you able to write it under your own name? Mm-hmm. You were, so, okay, so Joe Dawson was... It just, a, when it, my bio just had nothing, just, nothing about DOD. Got it. Which I think is interesting because here's my, my take on this or just kind of my perspective on this when I come into the, this, when I came into this industry is how many people, the first thing you would see would be their bio would be when I say their bio, I mean their resume about all the things they'd done in other countries for so many years and, and all the people they know and the names they drop, the people they work with and, you know, the titles that, that stood near, there's an abbreviation and an acronym for everything in the military. I yeah. can't keep up. Um, and you didn't do that for, as from the, from the writing position. For 12 years. And I, and I understand and this is what's also interesting is that you don't do that even to this day. Like there is no hanging on that, on that background, on that. I try not to. Yeah. And I find that to be rather, well, maybe unique isn't the, isn't the right term. Cause maybe I just haven't heard of the other guys for the reasons I'm stating uh, that are out there doing great things in, in the business um, and having opinions and writing some pretty, or talking about some pretty technical stuff. Um, and doing it from the position that you're coming from, which is like, I'm coming at you because I know this stuff and I have this other background, but you don't hang on the, on the community that you came from background. Yeah. And I think we have to talk about that because, or we, we, we had to talk about that to provide context to kind of where this is going as you move into the, the PRS stuff and kind of what you're doing with Bruiser. Um, because I'm, I, what I hear you talking about is something that I can understand and I can comprehend um, but it's also like when you think about the audience that you're talking to, not not you specifically, but as a, somebody that's providing information, there's all these different levels that are coming into it and they yeah. all have certain questions and they're coming from certain backgrounds and certain knowledge levels. And I'll be the first to tell you, I'm no expert on anything when it, when it comes to firearms. The only thing I'm an expert on is that I'm not an expert in any <laughs> of it. Um, but I also like to be talked to in a, in a, in a, in, or read at a level that's slightly beyond my comprehension because it yeah. makes me, it, in, it inspires me to go find out more information. Yes. Um, and you do a really good job of doing that for people um, and actually encouraging them to go listen to other people. Like yeah. it's not just you. I wonder where that came from because that's very outside 
of, let's just say, other dudes that come with a similar resume? That honestly came from going through school and college and and coaching and and watching people. You know, you have 18 people in a room or 14 players on a field or whatever. And it's like somebody might explain something. You might reach 11 of them, but you miss three. Hmm. And it goes right over their head because they just, the way we apply information, the way you, like, I'm a, I'm a verbal processor. I have to talk through things. I want to like, I want to like, you know, walk through it. I want, some people can watch something and understand it. Some people hmm. can just listen to you explain it and understand it. Like there's different ways people learn. And so there's concepts that I think are, standards that I'm not, nothing I'm saying is anything that I made up. Like I'm not a ballistician. Like I get all my information from Brian. From somebody else. Like I, I didn't develop how to shoot off a tripod. Like I didn't figure out how we use it as rear support. None of these things I made up. I got it from someplace else. And so I want people to understand these concepts. If we're going to have people be in the second amendment and enjoy their pastimes, you can't have a sole source of information. And I might not be your flavor. Like I might, you might be one of those three dudes that I don't reach. And that's not on you. That's not on me. That's just the way you learn and the way I explain and the way I process information and can relay it isn't driving. And I don't take offense to that. And so, but I still want you to have that information. And so, but I get asked all the time, like, well, Hey, what, what pistol instructors do you like? I teach pistol, but it's like, dude, but there's people who are like, that is their thing. Like precision rifle, scope carbine. That's like where my, that's my, your my jam right is. Now. Yeah. I teach pistol and carbine. I love it. I love shooting. I shoot USPSA. I don't suck with a pistol, but there's guys that that's their thing. They do that 50 weeks a year. Mm-hmm. And so I go, yeah, man, like, Hey, if you can't get to one of my classes, there's some people that I absolutely would push you to because that. And they have different ways to do it. And they have different drills they have you teach or have you shoot. And so if you go see Scott Jedlinski and then you go see Point One Tactics and then you see, uh, you know, JJ Rikaza, or then you see Matt Pranka shooting pistols, those are four very different classes mm-hmm. covering very similar concepts, but taught in very different ways. And you're going to get something different from all four of them. And so you might take away that one nugget, that great nugget on target transitions from Donovan. Then you go over to Scott and then he's got this really good thing on grip. And you're like, oh, that really sinks in. Donovan talked about grip. Right. It's not like you didn't pick it up. Just didn't connect the same way. It just didn't connect the same way. And so now you have this better, well-rounded shooter. And the big thing for me is I want people to have a better lens. Explain that, that. What do you mean? How I get asked this all the time. They go, dude, I'm, there's so many people out there. There's so many influencers and instructors and people who are in the industry. How do you determine the value of people's information? So I think that's the, that's the question we, everybody is trying to answer, right? And so I tell people, it's like at some level, you know, I might be friends with some people. I might not, you, you know, who am I? You, you might find me on Instagram and the next day you're, you know, like, well, who's this bruiser dude? And why should I listen to him? And it's like, I, I can give you, you know, eight or 10 people that I think I would get value from that. I like how they relay information. And if I'm your style on some things, you might find value in these types of people because that's who I resonate with. Yeah. And so I get asked that and I go, but the more people you learn from and have a, an attitude that you jive with, as you look out in the industry, you're going to start developing this lens that you go, that guy is not jiving with. Like, got it. Okay. Like otherwise you're just bombarded with information. 
And so that's all it is. It's yes. information overload. It's an information Just getting dump. blasted with it. Mm-hmm. Once you start to understand the concepts a little bit and you understand how people are relaying information. And then those guys who were like, you know, I was super high speed and I can't tell you about it because, you know, I'd have to kill you and all these things. And, but then you go hang out with somebody who was at CAG for 27 years, was super laid back, didn't talk about anything or it's top secret, whatever. You're like, dude, this guy was tier one through the whole war, he one did, of the most, he, he did the, the, one of the, the work, most yeah. like chill dudes I've ever met. Like, then why is this dude talking like he's Jason Bourne? Because no, because the regular public doesn't differentiate that, what you yeah. just said. And so it's, it's a lens. So, and that lens is sometimes only developed through trial and error. And so if you came to me and you went, came to me for every class I offer and you've never been to anybody else, like it's the same thing with equipment. If I'm all you've ever seen, you have no idea if I'm good or not. No idea because I'm your, I'm your sample size one of one. Right. And so, and maybe you did have a great time, but then you go learn from somebody else and you, that light, and maybe you go like, oh yeah, Joe now really was good. Or maybe it's like, oh dude, like I learned what Joe taught me in two days in like one hour with this guy. And that's, that's okay. Maybe that's how it is, but that's, I want a more informed consumer, like, because that makes our entire industry better and it pushes us all to be better. And you know, it, Somebody goes and sees Chris and then comes and sees me. And then Chris gets feedback like, oh, dude, like Joe taught it way better than you. Like knowing him, like that's one of those things that he he should be like, oh, I got to really tighten my stuff up. Or let me call Joe right now and find out what he's doing because he's this. hundred percent. Right. And what I think also is I think it should push instructors to stay students. This is the coach's coach. So talking is what I hear you, hear you saying right now. And that's, this is, again... I'm going to sound like a broken record to people who listen to the show, but this is a distinct privilege that I have to be able to sit down with, you know, as a coach in a different industry that recognizes really good coaches in a, in, in a different industry. Yeah. And there's a, there's a coach's coach perspective. Like this is a guy that gets it right. He understands there's different learning styles. There's different learning models. You've even gone as far as being able to write instruction manuals, right. in some level, but also maybe opinion, you know, mm-hmm. with regard to your reviews and so forth. And you, you're able to connect with a user at a different level. And you're not trying to own all of that information as if you are the last stop to whatever. And we've seen companies out there in the industry that have made a lot of money, like teaching their curriculum, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a there's a level one, then there's a level two. And then we have all the things. We do all the stuff from pistol to rifle to medical to comms oh, yeah. to whatever else. And then you get blasted if you've started inside that community and then step outside that community to do something something different or yeah. take it from some. And they are not open to criticism. They are not open to any kind of self-reflection outside of what's happening in their own echo chamber, which is very limited, you know, in terms of making change to, and, and evolving, you know, to be better. It just doesn't seem to happen. And again, like there's so the earlier entry consumer, let's say the early uh, adopter to a particular thing or whatever's ha- happening is going on, is getting a very skewed view or very skewed perspective of what is available to them and how to do it well. Like, and what I mean by that is like how to continue to get this information and yeah. what's, a, what's available to you. Um, I wonder what drives you crazy the most about that, like from being a coach and seeing all that happen in the industry. It, it's, it is the, it is a speed bump. It's a, okay. It's a absolute wall to growth. I think limiting, limiting reach and the, the ability to gain information from multiple sources 
is an absolute stop to growth and progression. Like, and that we, we've gotten this argument with tactical shooter versus competition shooter versus like, well, he's on a staged one way range and he's shooting paper targets and it doesn't apply here. And again, metal to metal, metal to meat. It's what applies across. It's like, you know, two circles and they overlap, but they overlap. You can't look at the entirety of it. You have to look at what we're trying to apply, like shooting techniques, target transitions, you know, whatever. It's like, if we put you guys up, it's way easier to teach a, a, a competition shooter, some of the nuances of our job than teach a lot of operators the nuances of theirs, because there's tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of reps that have gone in to hone that skill. Whereas tactics and stuff, a lot of that's, it's not tens of thousands of reps. It's a lot of that is big overarching concepts that we apply to many multiple tasks on the job. That, you know, yeah. Out there, yeah. And so I did a video once on Instagram because people were, that argument was coming up and I said, here's the deal, man. You got to realize as a tactical shooter, the art, we have, here's a pie, here's our pie. It's called our job. And there's a, a hundred pieces to this pie. And every one of those pieces is diving, mar ops, shooting, comms, demo, free fall. Like there's all these pieces that we have to understand. And I said, so the competition shooter has one fucking pie. One. One I piece said, of the pie, right? Yeah. yeah. But that's their whole pie. That's their pie. Yeah. That, and so they, they don't know any of this other stuff. But that, and so it doesn't make them better than you. It just makes them a, a more of an expert and a, or a resource of information for that piece. Mm-hmm. And so our job is to take all those skill sets and put that into accomplishing tasks that are given to us to be accomplished, whatever missions we're told to do, whatever. And so that gives us a really big toolbox. Those people have none of our tools in, in that pie, in our pie, but the ones that they have, they're really, really, really sharp. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, that's where I think, you know, guys who go like, Hey, you only have to t- learn from me. Like, dude, you, you haven't chosen your piece of pie to be really good at yet. And even if you did, and that's your pie chart, dude, an example I've given somebody is like, somebody might make a, a, a great cheeseburger. Yeah. Do I love the cheese? I love in and out in and outs. I, I actually don't like them that much, but anyway, <laughs> somebody's going to be like me on fire on, on the comments. Um, I love in and out. So I've, uh, have you ever had five guys? No. Have you ever had this? No. Have you ever had this? No. Then how do you know you, that's the best thing ever. Right. right. And it's like, so learn from people get out of your comfort zone. And maybe it might be that like, well, I know I don't like that. Okay. That's fine. It's developing that lens. And maybe it might be an expensive lesson to learn. I spent $600 to figure out that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. So that right there is, is interesting. And I'm interested in your, um, it's not interesting. It's very real. And I want to hear your, your take on this, but I want to go back to the post you just mentioned because that was actually the very first post I ever caught on you with that (laughs) pie chart. And it resonated. And there was a couple of things going back to learning models and how people learn and how they take in information. The fact that you took the time to draw that. I remember you're sitting in front of your safe, maybe yeah. in an office somewhere. And it's on just, it's on a piece of paper. It's the back of a Target. I'm not, I no, wasn't it was really a sure. whiteboard. Yeah. And so it was just your handwriting. You just drew this. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't overcomplicated. It caught my attention and it made perfect sense. And I was able to absorb that information. And so obviously the message was strong, right? It was very, very specific. But just how you presented it, was, um, and I mean, visually presented, it was important. I probably would not have stopped had I not seen that. So that was how I learned from that, that post. Like I was, this makes a lot of sense. Right. And, and it put into context for me, a lot of things that I've been struggling with. Um, 
so now I'm better as a, as a result. So thanks for that. Um, but now the, the, the question really is, is how, how do you get a new, somebody that's new and entering into this market or this, the genre of, you know, farms, they're picking this up for the first time or they want to start taking some classes and they don't want to make the $600 mistake. Um, what's the, is there an answer for this? Or is it like, nope, you got to make a few mistakes before you're really Everybody's going to make mistakes. The big thing I tell people and I, is you have to figure out your why you have to. Mm. And it's, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? Where do you live? What are the reasons for what you're doing? It's for anything, right? Like, what are you trying to accomplish in your, your journey in whether it's being prepared in the shooting sports, like, what are you trying to prepare for? Like, and then identify what's your why. Now, some people have a really hard time identifying that. And this is where you might make some mistakes is that a lot of people want to borrow other people's why, because it also takes their, the responsibility off of them to actually do some critical thought and to do some introspection and, and go like, I wanted to better defend my family. I want to set a better example for my son. I want to get outside my comfort zone and shoot some competition. I want to, you know, or maybe just, you know, I'm bored. I make some money and I want to dress up like a tier one operator and run around the range. on Play the around. Yeah. Dude, more power to you. Whatever. It's America. Do whatever the fuck you want. A hundred percent. And so, but what is your why? And it's like, and so if you, if you can start to understand that then, and ask yourself those questions, then the path becomes a little more clear and you take, and you can identify like, well, none of this is something that I really have any interest in. So now I've removed that from the, my, my purview of what I'm having to choose from. Yep. And it's like, Hey, I wanted to get a pistol. I want to focus on self-defense. I want to, okay, that's what I'm trying to do within the gun industry. Cause the gun industry is like, what kind of vehicle should I drive? Do you want to fly? Do you want to go over cross water? Do you want a car? Do you want a car, truck, SUV, van? Like what kind of vehicle? That's, that's kind of vague within the gun industry. What do you want to shoot? It's like, dude, that covers from a Caltech to a 50 Cal. Right. Like, <laughs> dude, what are you trying to accomplish? Dude, what's your, why? Right. Like I get asked all the time. What's your favorite gun in the safe? I have a lot of guns and I have a lot of guns that do a lot of different things. There isn't one. You have to give me more of what you're asking me of what, why I'm trying to answer. So what is your why? And then I, I did something. I talked about this before. It's like borrowing somebody else's why takes the ownership off you, but then the ownership becomes on you to then train enough and make a couple mistakes to figure out if you're answering or if that why was right for you, mm-hmm. or if you just borrowed somebody's and figured out, there, I'm answering questions that I don't have. And then that's where that might be expensive. You might've bought the wrong equipment, made the wrong choices. And I think that's where a lot of people are. Don't, don't continue to make the same mistake because you spent a lot of money making the mistake. Mm. And so sometimes people go like, well, I already bought this gear, this thing, this thing, this thing. But so, I'm like, but dude, that's not the journey you're going down and you've already, and you know it. And so you, you keep asking the same questions from other people on lines to that, try and justify, to try to justify the fact that you're not going in a direction you're happy with right. instead of going, okay, I figured out that that person I was following isn't on the same journey as I am. I should stop reset and then ask my, now maybe I've learned some lessons that I can identify what my why actually is. So I can now readjust course and go down a path that makes better sense. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about responsibility and taking away the responsibility and using somebody else's why, but it also takes about the accountability to the decisions that you made and the things that, 100%. You, the things that you've done. And I think that's, that's an equally as important part. And 
then how that shows up later in the may having an opinion, whether it fucking matters or not. Again, you, you can have whatever opinions you want, but how you blast people online because you made a decision or you thought something or you tried. Now you're pissed because your opinion or your thing that your belief isn't coming out of this other person's mouth that you put stock in, whether you held up or that you thought was the right answer or whatever else. And now they're wrong when they were never right for you in the first place, right? And you were just using, again, somebody else's why and not taking responsibility for that and not holding yourself accountable to it. It's where you come off now and now factions are being, or, being, or lines are being drawn and factions are being created. Like you don't want to be involved in that group because, right? Oh, yeah. And so I think, so like as an instructor or like, you know, as a, as a, as a business owner, you know, being very careful about who you align yourself with. And, oh, and that's a big thing. Yeah. Right I just had this conversation with somebody else, but yeah, let's talk about this. Like who you align yourself with from a, you know, from a an industry perspective or from, again, we've talked about equipment. We can talk about guns. You talk about anything. Uh, there's, there's money to be made out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's, and that often clouds the decision-making process. A lot of times you do make these mistakes. Um, one thing about this industry is it's very unforgiving. Uh -huh. Like if you fuck up, if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, you are going to get roasted, yep. roasted. Yeah. So, I mean, just switching over to that, switching over to that topic with regard to aligning yourself with the right people, whether you're a student or whether you're, you know, an instructor or a manufacturer or a company thoughts on that, because there's, there's a lot of risk there. And that took some trial and error on my part too. And it, and I kind of, it coming from a community that's very close and you, you know, everybody you go through the door for, and you, or, you know, you're talking about the SEAL community. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, Hey, I'm surrounding myself, people, their peers. And in the military, we have a lot of um, checks and balances. Whereas like there's, there's post, there's peer critiques, there's peer evaluations. Like you're getting ranked by the people that you stand next to. There's, there's critical feedback. You get evaluations regularly. You get all this feedback that's both that's highly critical, can be negative. And, and if you have a good leader, you should, should be getting, whether you're a rock star or not, here's three things you're kicking ass at. And here's three things you should probably work on. Yeah. Like just so that you have some feedback that you can work on instead of just like, dude, you're amazing at everything. Continue being you like, yeah. that's not productive. And so I think that's, guys, a, that's America right now in general guys lead. Well, that's, yeah. that, that's it's a whole other thing. A cultural shift. Yep is that we get shift over into something like social media. We shift over into something like, you know, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and whatever, especially as an instructor, and especially as somebody in this industry, mm. is that you, you then get this elevated status of your opinion and what you want. And everybody thinks they have it because we have an Instagram, right? You have an Instagram, uh, you have followers. Uh, it's like, dude, your mom, your aunt, your best friend's cousin and whatever, like, dude, nobody wants to see your gun review or whatever. Like, it's everybody has to kind of surround themselves with people that are going to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. and, and, and even if you do then gain experience and you're putting stuff out and you're, and you're, you have to surround yourself with people that continue to have to, that are there to see you grow, not there to uh, benefit from your growth. Oh, that's really, I mean, that's, that's powerful. And so I, I want to see you get better. And, Chris and I talked about this earlier and I was like, at the same time, he teaches, I teach, you know, we, we we spent the last four days surrounded by other instructors and other people who are doing, who want the same students. So they're basically trying to sell the same product I am in the same industry. Mm -hmm. And I have friends of mine who teach the same classes I do, but 
The thing is, you have to realize in a country of 340 million people, whatever the current US population is, like I will never reach everybody. Hmm? If I taught every day for the rest of my life, I will never reach everybody in this country who wants to take a precision rifle class ever. Is that the goal? No. So there you have it. I'm just saying, but yeah. so, but I, but I want those people to take that class. Yeah, gotcha. I want those people to enjoy the second amendment. I want those people to get better at what they're doing. And I want those people to have the information. And so it, why not surround yourself with people that are equally or goal might, or have the same goals as you. And there's enough for everybody to eat. And so if you surround yourself with people that are also going to challenge you, you can bounce ideas off of you, you, you know, I, I talk to people all the time where I'm like, Hey, I'm about to put this video up. Can you watch it? Like due to my off base, like, are you weird? Well, <laughs> it, it, because you do, you watch these people who surround themselves with yes men. And I watched them videos. I'm like, how did that video make it past everybody you surround yourself with before it hit Instagram? You like, got no, you you're really don't have roasted. friends. You don't have and friends. And you have a pr- production manager. You have people who videoed you. Like there was four or five people who watched that video before it posted. And nobody was like, hey man, like <laughs> you might want to record that again. Like y- you're coming across a little, like that wasn't a podcast. That wasn't live. Like you, you f- edited that. Right, 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 right. And now that's out. It takes time to get up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, and you thought that was a great thing to post like that, dude, your buddies aren't doing you any favors. And so, and that, that, and that should be pushing you to growth. Like, I think the, the term, like if you're the smartest dude in the room, man, you're in the wrong, wrong room. room. Right. Like right. Uh, if you're not surrounding yourself with people who push you and like, you're not getting on the range of people who you have to like put in some work to run with. You're, dude, on, the you're on the wrong range. Yeah. You're on the wrong range. And so I think that is critical to, um, but some people want to just be, the big fish in a little pond. They want to be the fastest person in the room. They very much like being there. They just, but they don't realize their growth stopped the second there was nobody around them that could compete. Yeah. So I wonder like for you, because you do a really good job of putting yourself out there and being very honest and how do you handle or what, what would you coach the coach out there to handle the criticism? Cause you're going to fuck up, right? You're going to make a mistake that maybe you don't have that team that's looking out for you, right? And you haven't really realized that yet and you and you put it out there. How, what, what, how do you coach them? What advice do you have for them in terms of managing themselves in the face of criticism? The thing is, so, you know, I'll, I'll tell a couple stories of, you know, of my, my fuck-ups. Um, my first platoon, we're, we're at Mid-South. We're doing some room clearances stuff. Dude, I'm just a new guy just trying to get through the house, trying to do my job exactly as I'm supposed to. Like, this is our first CQB block. We've got two troops clearing anyways. And the rule was not to shoot on the read clear. Like, we'd clear all the targets down. Like, and and at the end of the run, you you dude, you cleared back through the house and everything was the same. They're they're driving on you. Dude, you you go off safe, you you go, go through the kill house, but and you re-clear back out to your insert point. And so one of the trade that guys had forgotten to take a target down. And so you were actually going off safe. You're putting your finger on the trigger. You're doing all these things to do clearance. And then I bust out the house and there's a target there. And I am in full, like we're reclearing. This so is live fire. We, yeah. So we you don't d- download and it's in a kill house. And like, and so I pump out, p- punch that gun out. And I sh- dude, it, I didn't even think about it. Like, it's automatic. There was a target there with a gun in its hand. I saw a target. We had just done a whole clearance. My first platoon. I was just like, you know, your vision just goes, shh. Right. Like my first block, 
I was like, I'm, my bird's going to get pulled. I'm done. I'm, I'm out of, uh, I'm, my life's over. And they, you know, I well, got that, my, that's intense, man. I got my first chit and they were like, Hey, you know, shooting on the reclear, but it, it, and somebody pulled me aside, like, Hey man, like calm down. This isn't the end of the world. Like, I mean, that, that shouldn't do that, but it could have obviously, been. <laughs> obviously there, somebody. there shouldn't have been a target there. Like that was dropped. There were things. And that was the way we, we were told, like you go hard the same way you go off safe the same way. You're, yeah, you you're weren't the same wrong, clearance. but you were wrong. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and so lesson learned, um, you know, and I, and so I, I fucked up. And so it, it's, and I got held accountable by my peers. And so it's realizing as we get out that like, dude, we're just humans. Mm. Everybody's just a dude or, you know, just a person. And it's like, that's because you got out and you have 300,000 followers. You have a million subscribers on YouTube. It's dude, you're just a dude. Dude, if I stab you, you're going to bleed. Just like me. Like, and mm -hmm. so I think some guys forget that and they start to actually drink their own Kool-Aid. Mm. They really enjoy that elevated position up on that pedestal of, um, uh, of living that bigger than life persona. It's like, dude, I've got teenagers. Like I'm trying to be the best dad I can. Mm. I fuck it up plenty of times. Like I'm married. Like my wife gets mad at me. I'm just a dude, man. Like I speed and get tickets, like just a dude. And so moving forward in this industry and teaching, that's a really long way to segue into this, uh, moving into teaching. It's like, when you're on the range, man, everybody started someplace. Like I did a video with Jim's goon life and I explained this concept of BC and, tr and truing and stuff. And, um, I misspoke in one portion. I expect the cons I explained the concept, right. But I said the wrong thing uh, or the wrong button about the Kestrel. I, I do it all the time, man. And like, I, I listened like, back and I was like, I was like, what the hell was I, doing? I, I was like, Oh, you have to, you have to calibrate DSF. It's like, no, you have to true muzzle velocity. But anyways, somebody lit me up in the comments and I was like, dude, I explained the concept, right. They were videoing me actively teaching the class. Like, you know, I was just running around teaching and they were running around behind me with a camera mm. I just misspoke huh. and I was like, and so instead of going and like, you know, screw you, whatever, I was like, actually, you're completely right. I misspoke. It got caught in the video. Mm -hmm. Like I explained the concept correctly. Yes. You kept, you do that first and whatever. I was like, that was my bad. Like, thank you for pointing that out. Just but I watched because it. it was, I was wrong. <laughs> right. And it wasn't purposely. It wasn't like it was a lack of knowledge. It was, I missed, just misspoke. I was, I was staring at the Kestrel while I was telling him it and I was scrolling through and that's what I saw and said. And so it happens on Instagram. It's like people are so scared to be humble for a sec. And it's like, Hey man, I misspoke. I made the wrong post. I, you know, Whatever. I fucked up. I screwed up. Please Instagram, forgive me right. and then carry on. Yeah. And I think if you're just people, if you elevate that false persona, that bravado of like being infallible, it's like, but Instagram does that, right? Like how many wives or, you know, spouses watch and go, well, this person has a perfectly clean house and they go on vacations all the time. It's and the highlight like, reel, man. Yeah. And so if you do that as an instructor, as a person, it's like, oh, you know, oh, he never misses a reload. He never misses a target. <laughs> like he never makes a bad wind call. Right. Yes, I do. Yeah. And so it's, if, but I've tried to work on being fallible publicly, not like not posting my blooper reel, but like if I'm posting live fire videos, it's like it's honest, dude, I do it once. It's whatever I catch on video. I catch on video. If I flub a reload, I flub a reload. I'm just like, Hey man, I'm dry firing. Like guys get after it. Hope that motivates somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like I videoed the next hour and a half of dry fire. So I could get the 13 seconds that were absolutely perfect. So everything is like the, you know, the non flub, completely <laughs> badass reload. It's like, but that's like some guys watch 
YouTube videos. Like that dude shot that drill for a day and a half and he gave you seven seconds. So like that was the, the run where everything was perfect. The drill. The grill, the, that was like his one out of 170. That dude can't do that nine out of 10 times. Right. He did it one out of 1400 times, whatever. Yeah, but it got a million views. So 100%. It, it just drives the next behavior, the, the continued behavior. Because there is. And I've, I actually had breakfast with Lucas Botkin and, and some other people this week. And they right? had that same conversation mm-hmm. just about measuring entertainment value versus information value versus. I mean, it's all there. I mean, it's, and it all matters. I mean, the, all those variables are there. So you, you have to respect them. But I hear what you're saying. And, it, you know, you mentioned the, well, we talked about, like, I'm teaching the same stuff that Chris is teaching or, or whatever else. It's just how it's coming across, how it's uh, articulated, and how it's being assimilated by by the students. And it's the same on the Instagram thing. Like, the, I see people trying to copycat. And oh, 100%. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you, you said it, that you already have been honest. It's like, this is not new information. You're not, you didn't invent any of this stuff. You're just trying to explain it in a certain way um, that hopefully somebody gets, it motivates them and and it's helpful for them. And I think, you know, we talked about this a little off or maybe we could kind of expand on it. And that is um, in terms of being infallible or, you know, the critics that are out there, you know, oftentimes we see, um, we see you answering, or I see you answering similar questions like repetitive. It seems repetitive. Like yeah. you're, you're like we're covering the same kind of material. And I think it could be misconstrued that um, you're doing that because it got so many views on this time and you, you, you got to drive this many views on this next one. And that, that's what's driving it. Can we talk about that a little bit? Like just about, you know, how you approach answering questions and how you've positioned yourself on social media. Cause it's a, it's a thing. I mean, it drives a lot of a lot of what you do. So, I made the decision really early. You know, having written for a long time, I was writing long before Instagram was a thing. That I wanted to be me because you don't have to work very hard to be yourself. It's funny how hard you have to work to be bigger than you are. Um, and so, when somebody you know saw me at a match or met me in person or whatever, like it was the same person I was online. It was the same person I was. There's no difference. Like. I don't like have a teleprompter in front when I do Instagram videos. It's me just talking. So if I'm explaining it to you in person, it's probably going to be pretty similar to how I talk to my phones propped up on my desk. And so it's uh, positioning myself was I had, you know, 2000 followers or 1200 followers, whatever. And I was like, I'm just, I'm not going to watch my follower count. I'm just going to be me. And, you know, I knew enough people in the industry Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to, if people align with me or I cross paths with people or, and I just was like, I want to associate and interact with people that are driven in similar ways and that want, want similar things out of the industry. And if that happens and I get whatever I get, awesome. If I don't, more power to you. Right. Um, I'm going in for the long game. I'm not going for the, you know, skyrocket. And then two years later, you can't find me anywhere. Smart play. And so, uh, just staying true to that. And it was not a fast, like gain in anything. Rise, right. Dude, yeah. It's, t- you know, just doing it. And then it was like, and then it was 4,000. Then it was 5,000. Then it was 5,500. And then that, you know, you, you plateau for like seven months. And some people are, will sit there and freak out. I was like, I don't look at my metrics. I don't look at all the games that Instagram wants to play and the algorithms. And when you post, I was like, I want to post when I think something's viable. When somebody's asked me a question that, I might as well, you know, if somebody asked me the question, there's probably other people who have the same question. So I'll put it out there. Mm-hmm. And so I just have been doing that. And, and then you start making the connections with people who 
feed off of your message that might have bigger followings than you do. Right. And I've been blessed to cross paths with people like Jim's Goon Life. And, you know, and then I cross paths with Lucas who shared a bunch of my stuff and the kid has an enormous following. It's crazy, right? And, and so, you know, and that wasn't like a strategic play. That wasn't anything. It just happened organically through, you know, just people liking the information I was putting out and sharing it. Because it started that way. Yeah. And you've remained that way. And so, uh, and I, so I, and then I started, you know, I, I met guys like Clark Shooter, who's the marketing guy for Tier 1 Concealed. Okay. Makes holsters. Um, he was a young kid. He just genuinely liked to shoot. And so I was like, hey, man, I really like your content. If I can ever help you out, let me know. Like, this is, you know, I, I like that he wasn't trying to be more than he was. Super humble guy. Um, and we've since become friends. And uh, And I just was just reaching out and going like, hey, I love that you're a young guy pushing people to get into something I really enjoy. You're, you're not overselling it. You're being very genuine. Like, and he, he was getting a big following at the time. And I was like, keep doing that. And I said, and I, I appreciate it. And so we've maintained friends. And so I just tried to do the same thing that I appreciated from him. And, uh, and without hashtagging every that's good. That's, uh... special operations hashtag known to man. Uh, and then also while I do that, it's a hard line to like, how much do you post like old work pictures? How much do you talk about a past life that you're not doing anymore? Uh, versus uh, people just not knowing that the context of the information and what I'm putting out. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit tough. Yeah. And it's, a, and it's, I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just doing well, just, what I can live with. Yeah. It's like people have this weird expectations. Like, you know, they're already listening. They're listening to the information. It was like, why, why does this guy feel like he's qualified to say this? I think yeah. that's a legit, I think you want people ask, asking that question though, quite frankly. I What's, mean, on what, the basis of what we're talking about, like, because anybody can say whatever they want and position themselves as an, as an expert. So I think you want to be asking that a little bit, but I think the point is, is like, like how much does that really matter though in the end, because of what you've already explained that, look, I got great training. Right. And for, yeah. for the job that I had and what I did, but yeah. what I recognize is like, it was very limited, yep. um, in a lot of ways. So, and what's great is take it or leave it. Have I limited my growth? Probably have I, you know, limited the amount of information or people I could reach? Absolutely. It like, depends on what you're measuring though. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I like getting the messages from people who go, Hey, I've been following you for like eight months and I just realized you know, you did what you did or you, your bio, like, I just liked what you were putting out. Like, I appreciate the information. I appreciate, appreciated how blunt you were. Like you, what you explained made sense. Like, holy crap, that's what you did. And I'm like, dude, that's in a past life, you know, in another world, I did some things with some great people, very blessed to have the career that I did. You know, I stood next to some giants of men at a time where, um, we were asked to do some stuff and, uh, very blessed to consider myself part of that community, but that's just like, you know, one brick in my foundation. Um, and I'm not doing that job anymore. So my, my big thing is like, that's great. That's great. Dude, buy me a beer. Awesome. I judge people by what are you doing today mm -hmm. to be better? Mm -hmm. What are you doing today to be relevant? What are you doing today to make yourself better? That was, if that's being a dad, a fuck, better human being, like let's get philosophical for a moment. Like, what are you doing right now? Right. Not like I saved a kitten in fourth grade worship me. Right. Like, that's great. Like that's the high school quarterback. Like I won my state championship when I was 18, right. but now he's a fat dude selling shoes. Right. Like, dude, I'm sorry. 
that's great. You used to be able to take home the prom queen. It's like, dude, now you worship foot, foot picks. Like, come on, man. I, I, listen, man, I, I am completely on board with, with that. I do want to say this from the outside looking with in. Worshiping I, foot picks? I, no, no, not that part. <laughs> Edit that, Eli. Take that part out of this right now. <laughs> um, no, I want to, I just want to, I just want to honor something. And, and recognize something for a second that you're comparing, you know, past lives as being a high school quarterback who's now a fat guy that's selling shoes to serving our country and putting your life on the line and doing some things. And so at risk of overdoing it, I don't think that's a really fair comparison, but no. I understand the example, the analogy, you know, the picture that, that you're putting here. And I also want to want to say this because I am I have been saying this I feel like I've been saying this quite a bit because of the people that may have been sitting in that chair or people that I've, I've had interactions with out here or even like Chris who's sitting over there in that chair who says the same thing like I'm not hanging it out on anything I've done or will do or whatever else I'm just a dude but at the same time like it it because I feel myself repeating it now maybe I need to take a step back and, and listening to this conversation and go, look, man, I don't think, and I don't hear you doing this, but there's not honoring that, right? Or not. And, and I have it, a follow on then after is, is, I think that's not okay. And I might not be articulating this very well, but I think it's important that because there is a huge population of people in, in this country that have done that, done that job. Uh-huh. And to, to feel like, and I don't know if you feel like you have to do this or, you know, or whatever, to feel like you have to sit back and go, thanks, but that was a past life and whatever else. Um, it's really not that important. It's just a thing. I, 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 that's almost a common thread that I hear with guys that have come from this community. And I'm, I feel like maybe I'm starting to have a little bit of a problem with it, not like in a negative no. way or like a fuck you kind of way. It's just like a, it's like, how did we get to that? Like, how do we get to that? And I think I know the answer, but go ahead. The Navy SEAL Trident is the biggest insignia in the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. It's giant and gold. And the story goes that they asked for it because they nobody at the time, nobody wanted an insignia. They're like, we don't need an insignia. And they're like, well, you need an insignia. And they're like, fine. They're never going to approve this. They approved it. That was that, That's the story of how we got the Trident. I'm, I'm sure there's more to it and some old frogman's going to light me up and send me a big email explaining it. But <laughs> I used to tell people when I was teaching buds that here's the deal, man. You guys sign up to be here. You guys want to be part of this fraternity. It's a fraternity. It's called the teams. There's lots of us out here. There's You're trying to sign up to where guys are already doing the job. They've done the job. We've been doing the job since World War II. Like we were developed, we were made into the teams by Kennedy in, in Vietnam. That's a big freaking weight on your chest. It's big and shiny. And the you will never own that bird. Mm-hmm. You won't. It's not your brand. It's not your label. It's not your insignia. It's, it's of a community that you belong to. You don't own that. Like you own, they, they put it on your chest because you earned the ability to stand next to giants of men and put that on your chest. All you have the option to do is polish or tarnish it. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all you can do. Mm-hmm. It's never yours. The only guys who own that bird are the guys who died wearing it on their chest. They died doing the job. Those are the guys who own that bird. And so, no, I take heavy offense to guys who sell that after they leave the community as a brand. Mm-hmm. It's not yours. I lost lots of friends overseas that no longer can benefit off of it. Mm-hmm. They don't get the money from your book or your movie or your screenplay or any of those things. So that's why I work so hard to not ride that coattail. 
And it's, it's hard because it's part of my bio. It's why mm. people will fucking listen to me. But I, I, I understand and I appreciate it. Like I signed up for a reason. I wanted to stand next to dudes who, like I was an awkward kid. Dude, I aged, I grew into my body really late. Like, dude, I was awkward as shit. I was trying to play T-ball. Dude, the, like I had a big ass head. The helmets wouldn't fit on my head. And I, dude, I used to fucking cry because I was so goddamn embarrassed. Like I didn't have a helmet that fit in my head. Like, and then I, you know, then I played high school football and like finally started growing into that awkward ass body when I was like 17 or 18 years old. And I, and like, you know, I felt like, oh man, like if I, somebody was like, you can't do it. And I was like, you can go to hell. Mm-hmm. And so I went to college. My parents never wanted me to join. And then in college, I was like, you know, there's the politics of small town college and, and universities and, and friends of coaches and all this stuff. And so I felt like I'd left something on the field that I was like, I want to do something that isn't going to be dictated by politics. It's going to be dictated by what I do and how hard I work. Mm-hmm. I have to quit or not perform at a standard. And I'd wanted to be a, I'd thought about the SEAL team since I was like eight. And so like, dude, I went and dude, I broke my back and I got in a diving accident and all this stuff to be in the part of that community. And like, dude, there was dudes who were better men and more talented than I was in every platoon I was in. And it but that's what drives you to be better. Like when your peers are like, hey man, you fucked up. It's like, that should like cut you deep. Cause again, all you're doing is you get to temporarily carry that on your uniform. And when you retire, they put it on a plaque and you get to hang it in your bedroom. Like, because right now there's 2,200 dudes doing the job. Mm-hmm. There's 2,200 dudes who are traveling away from their spouses and stuff. I'm not. And like I did for a while. And at a time where I, I was blessed where there's dudes right now who are praying to be able to prove themselves and mm-hmm. go overseas and do the work that we train so damn hard, hard to, to do. do. Yeah. And then at the end of the war, there's a lot of guys who joined who didn't get those, those deployments and felt like the community owed them something. Mm-hmm. I saw a huge shift in mentality of why guys did it from when I joined or when I wanted to do it pre-9-11 okay. to like 20 years of warfare in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, and the it book deals. It was, it was, market, it was marketed and, to them. It was marketed to them. Mm-hmm. And so now they go, well, hey, I'm owed, you know, the Fox News specials. I'm owed. Because that's what they grew up watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not getting the war deployments. Well, I can get out and then I'll be worshipped for what I do someplace else. I don't want to be worshipped for what I did, man. Like, and there's, I lost buddies. Dude, I've got, I've got dates tattooed on my back from when helicopters have crashed and friends of mine have died and they died overseas and they died wearing a insignia that I take very seriously. Yeah, I think you just answered the the question and validated what I think I already knew. That it didn't take very many, doesn't take very many to tarnish it. And no. so maybe it's a it's a protective mechanism as to, you know, not want to do that or be known specifically or or just for that. Um but I hear you. And I think what it's done though is it's made people very cautious at, you know, again, if you're looking at me, like just average Joe citizen, very cautious now because I am, I'm hyper aware of people that do tell stories and write books and things like that. When you hear like this guy was, you know, and now he's teaching or he's, he's got this endorsement or whatever else. It's like, oh, it's another one of those guys. It's like, no matter what you do, like for a lot of people yes, and and the culture as a whole, once you put that insignia on, whether it's a beret, a, bat, a beret, a trident, a scroll, you know, any mm-hmm. insignia you pick, once you put that on, that title comes before your name. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, you, somebody finds out that's what you do, especially in the military, or like if you, you know, and, and it's mostly when you get in trouble, mostly when there's drama, where like people love to watch a car crash, man. That's why faces of death is so wrong. So, like, they, they'll, they'll lift you up when you do some heroic stuff, but they'll tell you down twice as fast. Yeah. And so, there's, and the more people highlight our communities, 
then the more they want to tear us down. And oh, so, it's just you're propping you up on that pedestal. Even yeah. Higher and higher. You and got so, more, more like, to fall. The, the silent professional, the quiet professional, like let, let the guys do the work the country asks of us without, you know, and make it be, you know, make your movie, but it, does, it you don't have to then list like where the team guy bar is, where the, you know, let the dudes, let, let our mm. culture be ours and, and not make it like some big list where everybody can know what we're doing or like, you know, track us down. Like let, let us have our brotherhood out of public spotlight. And, and that, and honestly, you know, if this gets listened to by a bunch of team guys, our community is split in that opinion. That's what I get from the outside looking in. It's down the middle. You have the guys who very much like or join for different reasons. And I really, I think it really comes down to what was your why to join. Mm -hmm. And I think half of it very much enjoys the, um, elevated status, the, the, the American flag bandanas, the whatever. And then the other half is very much like the silent professional. And they did it for reasons that don't have to be public. Right. It's a little I bit did, more anonymity. To I it. did, I did it to stand next to amazing people. I did it to do a job that whether that or, or I did it to serve my country in, in, in a, in a very difficult way that I felt driven to do. I do it, whatever reason guys choose to do. And you, you'd think that those reasons would be, you know, very similar, but there's, you could have a class of, 300 dudes or 400 dudes, every one of those guys has a reason. Why do 380 of them quit? It's like, so, and then of those 20 that make it, that go out into our community, you know, those 20 dudes might have 10 different reasons that, you know, and even then they're, they're close enough. Like, and so it's, it's weird, man. I, I mean, like I said, I was an awkward kid, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I hear you saying that. And I just heard what you said there, you know, kind of talking 380 to, or 400 to, to 380. Why did you make it, man? Like, Dude. sounds like, sounds like sort of an against all odds type of thing. Like, no, I, I don't want to sa sound I, like, no, no, you know, I, look, you didn't say that. I said that. So that, to be fair, it was, I'm just, you know, I, I had a chip on my shoulder and something to prove. Mm -hmm. I, I f was f finally felt like I'd grown into something. I wanted to prove to myself as much as anybody else that like I could do something that, you know, and not be awkward, not be, not fail at it, not whatever, um, and, you know, staying next to guys, you know, there was Olympic trials athletes, dudes who were vastly, you know, you, you know, you're all a type, you know, chest beating personalities. Yeah, like, Those 400 dudes are selected from, you know, there might be 3000 who take the screening test and the 400 that start are the, the best of those. And then of those dudes, like again, 20 make it, but also I was watching people that I viewed as, as more talented, faster, better swimmers, you know, whatever, more jacked, had a better six pack, whatever. Um, than I was, and I was still there. Like I hadn't quit yet. And I was, and I was still sitting next to another dude. Like, you know, you're sitting there shaking in the water. And it's like, I'm still sitting next to another dude. He hasn't quit. Mm -hmm. And like, and so like, these are the dudes I want to be next. Mm -hmm. I guess that guy's not one of them. Like, mm -hmm. these are the dudes I want to be next. I guess that guy's not one of them. Like, mm -hmm. and you know, and by the time you get down to those final dudes, you're like, okay, these dudes are my brothers. And, uh, and so you, you, you stay and, and it's, uh, and it drove me more than anything. People ask me like, hey, would you ever come close to quitting? Uh, I actually broke my back at Fort Benning and got rolled a couple classes. And I, there happened to be a big gap in classes. So there's nobody to roll into. And so I sat kind of like in this administrative like hold. I got more depressed doing that than I ever did like sitting on a pier <laughs> wet, wet or rolling around in the sand. It was just like, God, let me start yeah, again. Right. Um, but no, because it was like, I, I just... And they, they always just tell us, it's like, you know, every evolution will end. Mm -hmm. 
and it, it was like, I never looked at it as a whole. And I think it, maybe it's a personality thing. Cause I've since done stuff to where I'm like, if you look at the entirety of what you have to accomplish, it's super overwhelming. But if you take, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm -hmm. It's like, if you, if you take, if you take one bite and you go, Hey, I just need to get through this swim. Okay. got through the swim. That wasn't that bad. Okay. I'm just going to get to lunch. Okay. You're eating lunch. You're like, okay, that oh, I'm still here. Like, okay, I'm just going to get to dinner. It's like, oh, this night's really long. Hell week's really long. It's like, oh, and then it's over. You're like, oh, dude, there's nothing else you can throw at me now. Like every event will end. Mm -hmm. um, and then you just kind of take that and you go, okay, cool. What's next? What's next? Yeah, it's a mindset thing. There's a, there's a physical and mental toughness piece. Obviously, there's a lot of things I think that go into that, but it is it is simplifying it like that. Yeah. And taking something that ultimately is very complex and very complicated over time, but really simplifying it and, and taking it down and, the PRS stuff to me is almost very intimidating. You know, when I look at it, I don't know a ton about it. Um, I've done some, but very little. And, and you, you, if, if you decide to go take classes or, or go do stuff, you know, in the, in that realm, that is a much different type of shooting, much different type of, I think, cerebral process than going out on the pistol range and learning pistol, oh, yeah, 100%. learning pistol. I wonder like, because that's your, I said this, you know, earlier, it's like, that's the PRS stuff is your jam. That's, you spend a lot of time doing that. You do, you do the, the pistol stuff too. But like for the users out there like me that are listening, what do they need to know before they get into that? Like you mentioned the why, and I, I get that. So for me right now, it's not, and you also mentioned it sometimes, it's not very well developed. I could liken this to like the fitness business. People yeah. like, I need to join the gym and I need to lose weight. Okay, cool. That's a great goal. Why? Why is that important for you? Because that's going to ultimately drive decision-making and mindset and behavior change and all that and all that other stuff. What do people like me need to know, like coming into to that, like making a decision to go, to go take PRS? Because for right now, to me, it like, First off, I love the idea of this the, the cerebralness behind it and really having to work through a process. Um, I, you do that on the pistol range too. You do that with the carbine, you know, as as well. But um, like on the on the shorter ranges. But I look at it and I'm like this just looks like a really uh, cool skill. It's a very cool it, skill it's to, a, to learn. It's a it's definitely a math and problem solving drill more than it is a physical skill. Okay, it's, so that's that's why so you need see to know that one of the best precision rifle shooters in the country right now is a 15 year old girl. Like, and it's not a physical thing. She shoots a big heavy rifle, and she, but she's one of the best in the country. It's a mental thing and it's a problem solving thing because the time that it's not a time based scoring event. It's a you have to it's reading environmentals. It's making corrections. It's having making sure that your dope's right. It's it's I have to shoot off of this really unstable thing and try to make a really stable shot on a really small target far away. And if I miss, I have to be able to see where I missed and make correction and and then and or move to another position and do the exact same thing and rinse and repeat. That through all the variables. It's, I, it's kind of like, you know, uh, golf without the without the crazy pants. It's it's and, you know, you carry a big stick that shoots really far. Um <laughs> It, it is. It's like, hey, I, I'm trying to solve this problem. I'm trying to get to the green. I'm trying to get to the green. I've got, hey, you have to hit these four targets in 60 seconds off this ladder, and you only can use X, Y, or Z. Okay, go. It's like, well, the distances are this. Well, mm -hmm. what happens when you miss? What happens when you're not stable? What like, how do you stabilize the gun so your reticle isn't you know bouncing all over the place? It's it's a problem solving thing of. Maybe this person did it, but they're taller than you. They're shorter than you. Their gun's heavier than you. It sits on the barricade better. Like how they're doing it might not work for you. It's like, oh, the wind picked up. It fell off. Like there's environmental factors that have to come into play. It's a huge puzzle that you have to solve uh, under time at one given 
at like, okay, you ready? You understand the course fire? Here you go, go. And then you're graded. And then over two days, it's added up and it has a competitive nature to it, a problem solving nature. It's not as physical. It's not. Um, it's much more cerebral. It's much more math-based. It's much more your ability to kind of um, like solve problems and, and build structure. And there's some physical aspects of it. I mean, you have to move a rifle in and out of ports and around barricades and stuff, but the the fitness and, and speed of running around a USPSA match or a multi-gun match or is uh, much more physical. Yeah, but what I hear you saying is basically the same way you approach buds. It's like yeah. one little piece at a time and understanding like, well, uh, I got to get to lunch. And then when I get to lunch, I got to figure out how I'm going to get to dinner. And so it's the same process every time though. Well, yeah, it's like yeah. You, all these things have to happen for you to get through that stage. Dude, my dope has to be good. My wing calls have to be good. My st- position has to be stable. Like I have to... Uh, make the right corrections, adjust my dope and do it all under stress. It's like, that's the same thing with buds. It's like, and the thing is that a lot of guys quit because they've never failed before. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say this. So this is a, again, this is a pass fail. Yeah. Like there's, there's no in between. There's no feel good. There's no, it's not like horseshoes, well, right? You're shooting yeah. against yourself. Yeah. You're only going to shoot as fast as you can shoot. Right. And so you're not shooting get like, they have some shoot offs every once in a while, but like the event is individually scored and there's nobody shooting at the same time as you. Like you're not racing somebody on the next rock to shoot. And then the winner goes on. Right, right, right. It's like, there's, it's individually scored. And so I, I focus that on like, I'm only going to shoot as hard, as fast as I, I can shoot. Like, it doesn't matter if somebody came up and shot before me, like what, what, what does that impact does that have on me at all? None. Like I, of course I want to, sh- I want to clean the whole stage. I want to shoot it and get all my points, but I have to do my job to get that first. Yeah. It's like running a, running the four mile, you know, if there's somebody who was an all American runner from Arizona and I played, you know, defensive end at junior college, like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm a big dude. That guy's a runner. I can only run as hard as I can, can run. run. Yeah. That yeah. guy's a gazelle and he's 165 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so I just went, I'm all I can do is the best that I can do. And if that's not good enough, then let it let, then I can live with that. Mm-hmm. But nobody else is going to dictate that. And, and the competition to pass the competition to win the competition to make it through buds the competition to succeed is myself because at the end of the day, I'm the only one who, who has any effect on that. Nobody else does. Like, yeah. I think that's a, that's a, it, you, the way you explain it, it sounds so simple, right? <laughs> it, it, but to be getting inside the mindset and understanding and ha- not having ever lost anything before or quite frankly, ever had to compete anymore or ever been given the honest feedback of whether it's the ting or, you know, where that where that shot placement is on the target or that you suck. You know, you're just not as good I as you think you I tell people, I said, long range shooting is really, really easy. I can I can tell, give you the 100% keys to doing it in three steps. I said, Make it have perfect dope, have perfect wind, apply all your fundamentals. You'll hit hundred percent of your shots. So easy. <laughs> yeah. It's three things. So easy. I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a good way to, to, to look at it just in terms of applying it to life. And I see the precision sh- uh, rifle stuff as, as a really good lesson, you know, like a life lesson to have to really be able, you mentioned golf, um, it, it is a little bit like you have to get outside of your own head. You really have to think about things. It's not something you just show up and do like I can play golf right? I don't, I don't play golf well, right? In order to do that, I got to get lots of reps and I have to go through these processes and, and, um, and get outside of my own head. Cause as soon as something else sneaks in there or I'm not accounting for something, like obviously bad things can like happen. You made a good point. So getting out of your comfort zone, I get asked all the time, like, Hey, I want to start PRS. What do I need to start? 
I do, I go, dude, a rifle, a sling, a bipod, a rear bag, and a ballistic app or a scope, you know, a, a rifle with a scope, sling, bipod, rear bag, and a ballistic app. Like, that's it, man. Like, Star go shoot a match. And they go, well, what, what caliber? Do I need a 6BR? Do I need a 6 Creed? Do I need a this? Do I need a this? Like, dude, 308 with a detachable mag, go shoot a match. And they go, but I won't be competitive. I said, dude, you're just starting. I'm, I'm going to tell you a secret, man. You're not, not going to be competitive. competitive yeah. Like, here's the truth. Go and learn. Like, right. I haven't shot a match in four years through working at Siemens and doing all these things. I haven't shot a match. I used to be fairly adept at matches. I finished, finished okay. Like, I haven't shot a match in four years. I'm going back and shooting a match this year with a 308. I'm going, because I was like, I just want to get back into the problem Basics. solving, back into the routines. A 308 makes me be better at wind calling. Like, I will be a better shooter at the end of the season because I'm only going to shoot as good as I can shoot. I And, and I don't want to, I'm going for the learning ability, the relevance, the getting back into the swing of things to, to continue to improve as a shooter. And the way I'm going to improve as a shooter is shooting something that makes me work a little harder. And then when I feel like, okay, I'm getting back in my groove, then I'll bust my match gun back out of the safe. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to grab that tool that makes me work a little harder so that I become a better shooter. And then when I'm like, okay, like it's starting, I'm starting to groove. Then I'll bring out the better tool that's a little a, the easier paintbrush to paint with. And then then I'll really start trying to, to to go make a run at it. That is such the opposite of the way people are approaching this whole thing, anyways, man. They want to like give me the cool shit, give me the fast stuff, give me the the high-speed gear. I want the stuff that looks cool. I want the stuff that everybody else is shooting or whatever else. Not let's let's take the let's take the other road here, man. Grab the stuff that makes you work a little harder, right? And you can you can build into again another kind of lesson in life. Right. Like you have to do the fucking work. You get, you, you got to do the work. So if you're coming to take, you know, lessons or, 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 or sessions or whatever, I want to like, what do you want people to know about Bruiser? Like in terms of like coming to take classes and take instruction. I mean, let's talk the business for, for a minute yeah. and just like what I think I expected you to say that because, and let me preface this with, I think I was, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, this interview and I got, I'm really encouraged by this because I really want to kind of get in, you know, understand Joe at a little bit different level offline. You're the same guy, <laughs> right? Like, which is so refreshing, right? It's really great. But the other part is, is like, I, you know, I was telling Cece, like, I need to get up to Oregon, right? And, you know, when the, when the weather dries out a little bit and I've never taken a precision rifle, rifle course. We're teaching all over the country this year, but I want to finish one thought on that is when we were just talking about like getting out there and being competitive, whatever. It's like at the end of the day, man, I try to tell people from Bruiser and this has been one of my big pushes lately is it's not the equipment, man. At the, at the, the, the wrench doesn't make the mechanic The the scalpel doesn't make the surgeon. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's the reps and the training they've done to get there. And so like people want to go, what, what piece of equipment can I buy that replaces me the having work. to get off my couch and put in the reps. Mm -hmm. I said, when, when the time comes for you, it hopefully it never does. But if you carry for a living, you can, you choose to CCW, you do these things like in, in the unlikely event that you are put in a position to defend the life of you, your family, your loved ones, your friends, you know, somebody you are put in that position. You cannot buy muscle memory. You, you cannot rent reps. You've either done them or you haven't. And, at, and when that time comes or when you step on a, when the buzzer beeps at a competition, like there's better tools, there's sharper knives, but at the end of the day, you still have to know how to cut. And so when the beep goes off and they go, Hey, it's time to perform like the, the work has to have been done. And so 
my big push is like, you know, we're just finishing up SHOT Show, which is going to make me a terrible influencer. But it's like, there's nothing here that's going to replace that. No, that's, that's, I was just going to say, like in the land of everything's for sale and everything can be bought in Las Vegas, Nevada, right? Like what you're saying is, is the truest part about shooting. Like when it comes down to it, like if you haven't done the work, you're not going to be a good shooter. It doesn't matter what optic you have on there. If it's iron sights or red dot, right? If it's a whatever, this brand or that brand, if you've got this, you know, this stipple job or that stipple job, at the end of the day, you have to have done the shooting. You have so to I can hand you a $15,000 rifle with a $4,000 scope. If you don't know how to mount it, zero it, true, confirm, get you your suck. data. You dude, that gun is not going to hit that target at 1,200 right. yards. It's a waste of money. And so, uh, that leads into bruiser is I'm figuring that out. Um, it's a, Oh, I, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> it's constant evolution. Well, and, uh, to go back to a previous point, I'm just a dude. Yep. It's like, how do you, how do you sort through as a civilian trying to find classes? And as an instructor leaving a very established curriculum from a community that has, has it's a very distinct. Why mm. I was in a community for 20 years that you know, I was for 14 years of it. All of, Iraq and Afghanistan was going like we knew what we were doing. And so I could build a curriculum towards that. And so it's stepping out of that with the background that I have and the competitions that I've shot and the things that I've done and the, help, and the information that I possess that I'm trying to pass on, you know, and not, and not rice bowl um, and, and get, give whatever lessons I've learned to people. So they don't have to learn the way I did necessarily. Uh, how do I do that? And how, and how do you do that in a way that either people want, need, you know, and it, or have the conversation with the industry. I'm like, Hey guys, mm -hmm. everybody out there, what can I, as Joe give you contribute? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What can I, what can I contribute to make our community better? Mm -hmm. and, and I think it is a conversation and that's why I, I get a lot out of the lives and stuff. Cause it's like what people are, I want to know, what do you want me to teach? Like and that's the thing in like on Bruiser on Instagram. Instagram is a weird medium. There's a lot of grass is always greener. There's a lot of, but it's, you, you have an interaction with your audience and you have interaction with your customers. Mm -hmm. And when you're an instructor, you're the product. The information is the product, but you know, you are the dis dispenser of that. And, and it's, you get to talk to your customers and you get to, you know, figure out like, Hey guys, like you guys get to, I'm putting out information for you. Here's your test samples. Like, do you like this flavor? Do you like this flavor? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want more of? It's market research. Yeah. yeah. And so we get to do that and then go, okay, you guys want, you guys like how I put out this information. Cool. I'll offer a class. But then it's like, then you got to find the people who wanted it and put it in a place where it's accessible to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, it's been interesting. I mean, I write a lot and I enjoy that. I, I teach a lot. I enjoy that. I do some consulting and, and business development stuff. Uh, do some, you know, using some of my degree and experience in that to help people do some process management and mm -hmm. stuff. And, uh, but I just love to teach. And I think teachings, I get as much out of it as I think the students do. The uh, good ones do. I enjoy the conversation. And I think that's what a good, a good instructor should be having a conversation with his students. He shouldn't be sitting at his pulpit, just like giving a sermon. Uh, I think it's, and every class is slightly different because everybody's, be. everybody's looking for a different piece. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, if I go work with a super high speed team in Florida, in Maine, whatever, and I go, they want a, they want scope carbine. That could be a very different class with the level mm -hmm. of aptitude those guys have than the guys who want scope carbine who sign up in Santa Barbara or in Utah mm -hmm. or in Texas or whatever. And so you, you have a curriculum, you have 
checkpoints you want to hit to get to the end, but some you might not spend as much time on. Some you might spend more. Some this team really wants to dive down and focus on tripod on, or, Hey, we really just got this brand new pistol and we really, or we've never ran red dots before. I mean, that's a big thing. I mean, there's lots of law enforcement agencies going to red dots. Yep, yep, and so huge. it's like, they don't want a pistol class. They want a red dot class. Yep. They want what is different. And how do I now go from this platform to this? And, and platform? how do I walk out of here right now and make that effect? Those guys know how to shoot. Right. I'm not saying you can't give them something. I'm saying like, but they're, they're asking What's different between these two things? So it's not a pistol class. It's a red dot class. I'm t- telling you what the difference is. I've been doing magnifier classes because it's a piece of equipment that expands the capability, but there's some nuances to it that you have to explain. A lot of people have them too. Yeah. Exactly. And they think it's very simple. Like you buy magnifier, bolt to gun. It's done. It <laughs> magnifies. I don't have to touch anything. Not exactly. <laughs> um, and so it's... And I, I watch a lot of guys make this mistake because the industry will tell you they want everything from you. Mm-hmm. And so if it's your one dude, if you're three dudes, if you're a group, if you have four instructors, how many classes are you going to teach and how good are you going to be if you spread yourself too thin? That's It's not scalable, man. And so I went- After a certain point. Again, I, I shot USPSA. I was never a GM. I, like, I very much enjoy it. I'm, I'm a fairly adept pistol shooter. I can shoot- I, was an assaulter. I was a team lead. I was a platoon chief. I would, all these things. Um, I can shoot a carbine. I can teach tactics. I was a, I was a CQB RSO. I was a breacher. Like, but dude, by the time you get through all those, it's like the the things that I this goes I, back. To, this goes back to your pie chart that I nerded out on. Mm-hmm. That I went and that's the pie chart video when I was like, some guys do and they grab that piece. That piece for me that I grabbed was sniper and scope carbine, mm-hmm. and so I just like. That's it's, I enjoy it. It was a hobby of mine. I went out of my way to go do, and part of that was because a breacher, you can't really strap explosives to your back door on your house and your wife's not going to be very happy about it. And, you, <laughss> and taking a sledgehammer to public property usually isn't frowned upon. Yeah. And so, but I, I could go out into the, into the woods, into the desert and whatever, and shoot things really far away. And I didn't get arrested. So it was, uh, I, I liked it and it was, and I, my brain and the way I process information and my personality lent well to, I very much enjoyed the puzzle. I enjoyed the problem solving. Uh, and I like the physical aspects of pistol shooting. Again, I shot USPSA and other things, okay. but that was something that I went, I can be good at this at my, and it pl- plays into my job. And I also shot matches for pistol because I thought that was important, but uh, it was something that lent well to me separating myself from other people and giving something different to my community. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I, pursued that's where that's at yeah i mean so i mean the next natural question to that is is like how do people find out more about that like are you teaching classes year-round where do they go to get this information you think you said you were traveling around the country a bit this yeah, year so, is this is that new i don't, I don't yeah know. so this year is the first year i'm full-time um our website went up like three months ago finally um after i you know swiped the credit card and got it put up it was uh i'm this year we've got classes in southern california uh, Utah, Texas, Pennsylvania, Washington, Nevada. Um, Shit, you're getting around, man. Trying. I'm trying. I I went for the places, most of them, unless somebody contacted me and pre-sold the class, which um, I, that's what Pennsylvania was sold before. It still isn't even on the site. A bunch of guys reached out. They're like, we want you to come out. We've well, got a group of dudes. Is it sold out? Yeah. So there's out. no need to put it on the site. Yeah. <laughs> you can so, scratch that off your list. Yeah. I just gave you permission. Yeah. Um, and then Texas, Big Techs reached out and they were like, we want you to come in and, and do scope carbine. We, they, they put it out to all their people. It sold out in like two days. Outstanding. But then the other ones, 
I wanted to find places I could drive to. I could bring the equipment that I wanted to show students. Uh, and, and it was something that got my uh, investment into the course down so that my goal is I don't want to cancel any classes this year. Mm. It's my first year of business, man. Like you're not going to start a, a company and have sold out in three hours, every class you put up, like I'm growing and I'm, I'm open to doing that. I want to work with who I want to work with. I want to see the ranges. I want to talk to people and then let word of mouth, whether I'm good, good bad or indifferent um, spread and see where it takes me and, uh, and grow from there. And so that's my goal for this year. I mean, I'm fucking excited for you because it would be good to see this stuff like come to really come to fruition outside of kind of what we hear and see you say maybe in your living room or, you know, on your front porch or whatever else. I mean, I feel like I've kind of been there for part of that journey to some extent. Like I said, it hasn't been, I caught that post. Whenever that one came up was one that really, really drew me in. This last year has been yeah. huge growth as far as like reach for, for me. And it's, um, it's, a, it's interesting. I'm not somebody who likes the spotlight. I, I but it, and my wife and I battle about this a lot because our social media is such an interesting animal and we could do a whole podcast talking about <sighs> we it. We could. Yeah. And it, and it's, I, the people lose themselves mm-hmm. in social media and I don't want to lose myself. And so that's, I, that's what coming back to one of our other earlier points is I'm very selective on who I surround myself with. Um, I try to, I'm, I consider myself a very loyal person. I've, I've maintained the relationships that I have for a long time. And I try to be a pretty decent judge of character. Not always the greatest. I mean, Chris is here. You're a human. Uh, and, uh, but I, so I surround Chris, myself people with people who uh, are willing to hold me accountable. Good, mm-hmm. Again, good, bad, or indifferent. Because um, I fucked up plenty of times in my life. And I will, I'm sure I'll do it in the, in the future. And, uh, but, you know, if you're willing to have people there who, who care about your, your growth and you as a person, I think um, those things are, are not as brutal to get through. And, uh, and, and hopefully in the end, you, you come out on top and you move forward, you know, better and, and more successful because of it. Yeah, man, I, that, I guess that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged to see that happen. I'm, I feel very privileged to, like I said, be here. I'm privileged in general, but I'm privileged to be here kind of a, early in the journey. You know, it's early in the in the next chapter, if I will, of this of this journey for you. We'll, we'll see where it takes us. And I and I, I mean that wholeheartedly, honestly. You know, like I I've sort of already out verbally out outside committed to like I got to come up and take a take a take class wherever it is. Not now that you're, knowing now that you're going to be sort of all over, that just expands potential opportunities for me. And you know, I I think you know, kind of the things you're saying will resonate with people because I think what they're looking for more people are becoming aware of now is looking for this integrity in the, this may sound a little cheesy, but integrity in the, in the, in the instructor, as well as the curriculum, like, and not just seeing the flashy video or hearing the soundbite or, you know, the hot take or whatever else, but they're now becoming educated and it's, it's to where they are, I think more, um, I guess, aware of when they hear stories like this and they hear you, you say where you're coming from or whether that's on, you know, a podcast or social media or wherever else, they're recognizing the, again, it may sound a little cheesy, the real ones, right? Versus the people that are out there with a very specific agenda, which is to grow their business versus grow themselves and enjoy that growth process and invite people into it versus um, uh, pay for it. If, if, that, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where, dude, we're only on this planet for so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can't 
you can bury yourself in a coffin full of money, but you're not going to have much to spend it on. Yeah, man. And I, I've made mistakes and travel all over the world and loved, lost all these things, you know, not to be super philosophical. I want to spend my time doing what I want to do mm-hmm. and what I get value out of. And I get value out of working with motivated people and having a conversation where everybody is growing. And I think that's something that if I can do that and put food on my table and, and whether I make a little bit of money, a lot of money, as long as I can pay the bills and continue to do that, I'll consider myself a very wealthy man. Yeah, there's the why right there, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, man, I appreciate you taking time out of the day. I mean, it's Vegas. It's a lot going on. I'm sure you're giving a lot of energy to a lot of other people. Um, well, this is the end of my shot show, it, and I'm, it's been fun to wrap it up with you. So. Yeah, man, I, and I appreciate that. I really am, I really am grateful for, uh, for this time, and I'm, I'm certain other people will be to hear the story maybe in a little bit of a different way. Again, not every podcast is the same. No. You've been on lots of them, right? You've told told lots of stories, but uh, hopefully they get something different from this or it resonates with the that person that's heard the story a couple of times in a different way or heard somebody else's story. I don't know. It, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I like to tell people, it's like, dude, like I said, it's it's all I can be is me and, and you know, take it, love me, hate me, whatever you want to do. But, you know, I go to bed knowing that I, I didn't, that I was genuinely as much myself as I could be. And uh, I found successful at doing that. And I, and you know, people that I, I'm around, I respect and love and appreciate. And I guess you can't be that, that terrible. That's a win. Yeah, that's a win for sure. Thanks brother. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.